Uh, we're, we're in this series called Created. We're, we're building out uh, this wonderful doctrine of the Imago Dei. Actually, I, I told our staff, we're, we're probably not going to use the word Imago Dei uh, very much in this series, and I'm doing it every Sunday. Uh, and that's really to help ground you, anchor you in, in the robust picture of what this is. That it's not just something that helps us understand God's word. It helps us understand how we function as God's people. And so we see that this is great if you're new to your Bibles. First page, Genesis 1. Uh, we see that built out in Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28. Uh, and then we're, we're kind of continuing to talk about what this means for us today. So we're going to be reading from Genesis 1 and then jumping all the way to Luke chapter 16 this morning. So Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then Luke 16, 1 to 15. He, that's Jesus, also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called to him and said to him, what is, it, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? Am I, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful of very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that to you which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And they said to them, and sorry, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. This is the reading of God's word. Uh, I encourage you, uh, as we hold these two chapters, these two uh, areas of Scripture up beside each other, and it probably reads really strange uh, for you to understand that we've been building out this idea of how we are created. Uh, we talked about work. We talked about relationships. Uh, Trevor did a great job last week of talking about we're created to create. We're building to this understanding of it's, it's more than just work. 
It's more than just work done through our relationships. It's more than just uh, a creativity that is distinct from all creative things. We, we are actually made as stewards, managers, representatives. We are given uh, an incredible and, and beyond comprehension amount of not just resources, but responsibility to manage on behalf of our creator. That's why we included and why we're anchoring ourselves in these opening scenes in Genesis 1. God's original design is this. And, and put aside any notion of scripture that you might have. Pretend that this is, you know, day one of Bible class. This is the scene that, that is given. God creates, makes this incredible environment with all, all the resources, all the food, all, all, all the things that you would need, uh, limitless exploration and activities for you to do. And then he does this. It's yours. Go. Like, and, and you're off. Like, that's beautiful. I mean, it, it should kind of spark something in you. Now, if you're skeptical, which I would assume is most of us, you're going, yeah, but I know there's a lot more to our Bible. And, and something goes, goes wrong, and you're quite right. Page three, the problem enters the scene. And the, and the problem is this, is, is that we, we're not satisfied. This is actually, we're, we receive this as an inheritance, but we're also culpable to it because none of you would have done any better. In fact, we've all fallen in the same way. We don't want to be mini representatives. We want to be mini sovereigns. You see, it, it, the foundational understanding is that you've been given in trust incredible wealth that is not yours. And in trust, you've been given this opportunity and responsibility to use that in a way that honors the creator. The, the image is this. Go take care of it like I would, which builds up an understanding that we need to kind of emphasize where work and relationship are, are hand in hand. You can't do that without a deep and growing relationship in Christ. In fact, two weeks ago, um, got to baptize a, a new member of our church, celebrate as a church, and he was like, now what? I'm like, now you grow. Like, we're celebrating that you know Jesus, but now it's time to, to grow in Jesus. And he's kind of looking at me like, but aren't there more classes? Isn't, you know, when, when do I get to do new things? Like, how do I? And I was like, you grow. The idea is you, there is so much to understanding Christ that is implicated not, not just in the value of our work, but the, the expression of our work. What we do with stewardship, it, it, it actually shows us quite quickly um, that, that humanity is, is given a, a remarkable role that is built out in the image of God made in the image of God. In fact, it tells us this, that we're designed for stewardship. We need to talk about when it's corrupted and ultimately why that's important to us. Uh, let me spend the least amount of time talking about the design of this because we've already kind of touched on it. But, but if any of you are skeptical and you're going, you know, this just sounds like God has humanity as pets. You know, think about it. You, you do this if you're a pet owner. Any of you pet owners? Right? Give them food, water, uh, a nice environment, you know, the, you know, creativity while you go to work so that they're not bored. And, and that makes you feel good, right? And, you know, we see this in the zoo. This enclosure has all the things to stimulate their mentality and mentality, stimulate their, their mental uh, development. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, you know, all, you know that's, that's a pet. We are not pets because you do not die for your pet. 
Moreover, your pet does not represent you. I know some of you are still working at home. You can't grab the cat, put it in front of the Zoom call, and be like, it's okay, Mr. Whiskers got it today. Like, you wish. The, the difference here is that we're created to be, be this idea of an extension, a representation, a, a steward and manager of, of all that is his. We see that in the language. Actually, uh, if you look back to Genesis 20, uh, 1, 27, 28, it says to multiply, to fill, to subdue, to rule. These are compounding words to really give us one clear picture. That I, want, I want to just saturate this world, my creation, with the image of the creator. So I, I, want, I want you to multiply that speaks more to than just having kids. That means I want more mini representatives in every corner, every inch, spreading out. I want you to, that's, that's how it's built out when it says, I want you to fill. We've been using this idea of uh, we've been made in the image of God, and it's like you are a mirror. You function out of that design when you are looking at the creator and shining his brilliance, his light, and his warmth to creation, to one another. When that gaze focuses on created things, you grow dim and dark and you have no function. There's no inherent light or warmth within you. It's received from a right relationship with him. And so the idea is you fill creation with that. And to subdue, now a really lazy or improper teaching on this, and some of you may have experienced this, is this idea of like, well, as, as hum- humans, as humanity, we can go and trample the earth. We can do whatever we want with it because we're made in the image. The idea of subduing is a, is a picture of, you know, bring it under right authority, not abuse. You know, there's, there's a wild world out there. Tame it under godly authority. And we see how that's been abused, obviously, mistreated throughout history. But it's a wonderful image of basically, you know, if you've ever had or, or been in charge of small children, if you want the experience, you can go volunteer downstairs. <laughs> there is a, an act of, of, of subduing. You walk in the room, you're like, do whatever you want. It's going to be chaos. You you know, I, we were going to provide some structure. We're going to provide some, some ground rules. And, and in so doing, what, what happens to your children? They flourish. That's what he means when ultimately he says, go have dominion, go and rule. I want you to rule. God's going, you want to participate in my job? Like, like this should, again, not just spark something in you. It should warm you. Be like, really? Like, that's what you created us for? And, and in our overreach, we're going, ah, mini representative doesn't sound exciting anymore. I want to be my own sovereign. It all breaks down. This managerial role has been fractured. And, and that's where I think it's helpful for us to kind of delve into this parable. I, I've been wanting to teach on this for years. It, it's a, an elusive parable. What I mean by that is parables are, are Jesus often taught in parables as they're fictitious stories grounded in everyday principles meant to convey gospel truths. And, and several of the parables, as you read them in Scripture, you're like, yeah, I kind of understand what he's saying. This is one where you're like, I have no idea. I had a few people after the first service come up to me like, thank you, because that's been a weird one for me for years. Uh, I, but I was excited to teach on it today because actually last week I got to uh, be a guest speaker at the ladies' Bible study. 
It's like going behind enemy lines. <laughs> and, and it was fun. Do I get an invite back? Yeah. All right, there you go. The idea of, of this parable speaks to management, speaks to stewardship. And that's not new. It's actually a motif we see throughout Scripture. Scripture. I only get a few of those this morning. We we see that built out as Jesus teaches. He often uses the idea of a servant, a manager, a steward to help us understand something harking all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. You've been made for this. You've been entrusted with much. This is in your design, in God's design. It has been broken, but it is not lost. So can we recapture that? Can we get it right? So as we look at this parable, we, we see something here that, that is really interesting. In fact, um, again, compounding on those words of multiplying, filling, subduing, ruling, uh, a manager and the idea of, of the managerial role, it's not a big stretch for us. You know, th- this is like a CEO and shareholder relationship or your financial uh, guy, you know, that's what I call him. I don't actually know what his title is. But, you know, you entrust to him your, your resources that he would make them grow. And if, if they don't, what do you do? You, you get a new one. That's kind of the relationship going on here. Uh, the, the wealthy person who has much to manage hires somebody to do it for them. And in so doing, he goes and represents The manager had incredible uh, leeway. It was a prominent position where he had access to the family and the resources and all the things that were the master's, except they weren't his. It was a borrowed authority, borrowed resources with the understanding that he would manage in representation of the master and with good decisions. And we don't even know at the beginning of the story. It's like Jesus picks us up in the story uh, after something critical has taken place, but we're not given detail as to why. He's been dishonest. So, so maybe he's kept some uh, things to himself. Maybe he hasn't given a, a proper reporting. We don't really know. It doesn't really matter. But what we do need to know, he's, he's basically in his last day at work. He, he arrives and he says, by the end of the day, I want you to clean out your desk. That's the scene. And he's in panic. What do I do? I, I, I'm... You know, I, I don't have the physique to dig. If you've ever had to do that for a living, I did. That's hard. I'm too proud to beg. And I know that, that you know, this kind of blemish on my resume means I'm never going to work like this again in this community. So what do I do? He quickly, in a moment's notice, settles his decision. And then we see that play out in the parable. This would be like one of those movies where in real time, 20 minutes passes, but it takes two hours to watch. That's kind of how Jesus is setting it up. And and what we see taking place is is he starts calling in all the debtors. You know, see, this is, again, where where the design becomes corrupted. Be given much to manage. He's entrusted to do it as a representative. He's entrusted to do it as it would honor and be reflective of the master. And he's already messed that up. And so in his last moments, he's, I'm going to call in all the debtors and here's what we're going to do. And we see them, this transaction taking place. How much do you owe? Okay, take your, take your account, make it less. You, how much do you owe? This isn't just two guys. The idea is Jesus is saying, this is the pattern that he set up with 
all the debtors. He's going through the Rolodex, if you're old enough to remember that. Kids, the phone. He's flipping through the contacts, and he's, one by one, he's, he's slashing down the debt. And you, and you ask yourself, why, why is that? What's accessible to us is this idea of manage, but, but what's inaccessible to us is what's actually, Jesus is likely pointing at what's likely understood to the original audience. And most commentators would agree that there is this understanding built up from the Old Testament uh, system of an economy for borrowing and lending. That, and if you want to see a b- brilliant picture of it, I encourage you to go to Deuteronomy 15, where it would say, uh, if anyone in your community becomes so impoverished, so, so uh, destitute, that they would actually have to sell themselves into a working environment, essentially as a slave or a servant, uh, that at the end of seven years, you let them go. That was God's command to his people, so that there wouldn't be this unfair rise of certain families and diminishing of other families. And that that kind of theme uh, bleeds throughout all of his commandments when it comes to finances and working and economy uh, and and kind of commerce between people. In in fact, when they were supposed to uh, lend and borrow to each other, they were not supposed to charge interest. All the financial minds in the room are like, what? Then why would I lend or borrow? Not to get rich but to have mutual concern for one another. That was God's design, and he's, he's placing that into his people by uh, a legal system, by, by a system of commerce. What, what Jesus was doing as he was highlighting this story is he had his finger on the pulse of, com- of the community, which actually had uh, kind of collaboratively and, and through culpability agreed to corruption, which was this. Well, if I'm not going to get wealthy, lending you resources then why do it at all? So let's actually, uh, like our foreign examples of the nations around us, let's actually charge interest, but let's, let's do it in such a way that we can actually look like we're good religious people. So that was done in two ways. One, one was um, the actual way in which accounts were recorded. We see this in the text. That, that instead of saying, well, you borrowed 10 measures of wheat, the going rate of interest is, is 10, so I'm going to write plus GST, and then your bill's going to come out to 110. They just said, let's just write an agreement, you and I, that you borrowed 110. And that way, if anyone with kind of a religious nose for, for what we ought to be doing goes through the books, it looks legit. But wink, wink, nudge, nudge, under the table, you know you're charging interest. But we're all okay with that. It kind of works in the community. But, but the second thing that props this up is in the event that a manager was caught or a master was caught inciting the charging of interest, the, the you know, abuses of helping their, their, their neighbor, so to speak, with lending and borrowing, they had plausible deniability. They could simply go, it was the actions of the manager, let them go, and still look like a religiously uh, pious and upright person. Jesus has his pulse on the corrupt posture of his people. He's going, you guys don't even get it. You're you're so good at propping each other up in this way that that you're missing the whole point. Again, if you look at verse 1 and then jump down to roughly verse 14, 15, it, it says, teaching his disciples, but then also we know that the Pharisees are listening in. 
So Jesus is commending his disciples, his followers, and by extension us, to good stewardship while rebuking the religious leaders of his day, basically saying, I, I know what's going on. I know it's not right. And, and, and here's, here's a story that actually likely emulated and reflected events that would have taken place in Jesus' day simply to highlight a crooked system. And moreover, their ability to navigate it really well. You see, when, when the manager gets caught, at the end of the events, what, what does the master do? This is what kind of shocks you in the story, right? He applauds him. Not for his dishonesty, but for his shrewdness, that he's astute, that in a short period of time, he, he makes a really savvy decision. You know, and what is he doing? Well, if this understanding of borrowing and lending is the case, and we seem to have a lot of evidence for that, what he's doing is this. Hey, let's settle accounts. Uh, whatever the interest is, consider it gone. It, it's just, you know, we're, we're going to maintain the law in its purest form. He's behind the scenes using board authority to make his, ma or make his master look like he, he's a guy who loves God's law and, and keeps it to, to the T. And so when the master hears of all these things, he has no recourse if he goes back to his uh, debtors and says, hey, that guy was fired. Uh, he, he had no right to call you, no right to set up that meeting. So you need to actually, you know, make the bill the way it was before, change the accounts to the way they were before. Um, he's going to be accused as somebody who doesn't keep God's law. He's going to look like somebody who has no respect for, for God's law, who's, who's gouging his, his community by charging interest. So he can't do that. In fact, all he can do is really just kind of swallow it and go, well, I'm either going to look like a really pious person in the community or I'm going to look like a jerk. So he turns to the manager and he's like, well done. You've secured for yourself a pretty comfortable life after this. I'm still going to let you go, but you're going to get picked up by somebody else. And even if you don't, you're endeared to all of my debtors as now they really owe you. Like, that's smart. It's kind of like an Ocean's Eleven story, right? Where you're cheering for the thief and you're not, not because they're a thief, but because they're so clever. You're like, ah, I kind of like that. Jesus is not using this story to elevate dishonest actions or practices. Actually, you see that very clearly in verse 8. He says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of of light, What Jesus is doing, and again, having his finger on the pulse of the culture and trying to speak directly to our hearts, he's saying, you know an earthly economy better than a heavenly one. In a moment of disruption, in a moment of crisis, you're able to pivot on the spot and do an, incredibly, uh, an incredible amount of work to set you up well for the future. And yet... It's all done for what? For your kingdom, for your own decisions, for your own fame. And it's an abuse and it's a corruption. He's, he's basically going to, to, to his followers and by extension to us, to the church. If you were that savvy with heavenly things, just imagine what the kingdom of heaven on earth would look like. Where you could pivot on a dime and go, you know what? We could do this in such a way where we steward 
resources in a way that are representative of the creator king and that honor him, that this would just flourish and grow. It's an indictment to the fact that we know how to navigate the shady corners of our world way, way better than we know how to navigate a relationship with our Savior. Jesus makes it very clear, and this is, this is uh, compounded and repeated throughout the parables. He says, because one day you're going to be held to account. You've been entrusted with much. And, and that idea of being held to account is like, let me see the books. I mean, this is where people get nervous because they're like, here's where he's going to talk about giving to the church. And, and it's not, I don't want to talk about giving to the church, but, but I want to talk about how we function as a church. We've been given much, and what are we doing with it? That's, that's individual and that's corporate. Today, I want to talk about that in the corporate sense because, you know, let's, let me poke some fun at, at, at the Christian community in, in a way where I think it's safe. Um, if you go on any social media, what are the pictures you see? It, it's the church is looking awesome. No one shows the pictures of empty seats or when the baptism tank spills. To go like, this is us on Sunday. You know, it's like, no, we want to, look at us, we're doing amazing. You know, look at us, we're, you know, the one picture of them, you know, giving a, a food hamper to a family in the community. We'll look, at, we're doing all these things. It, it's, it's the appearance of something, but we don't know it's, it's truth. And we can build on that. I'm not saying that that's the case in every ministry or every uh, charity but we can build on that kind of stuff to make it look like one thing when behind the scenes it really isn't. You know, one, one of the things that I, I, I want to encourage us towards is, is not, not to be so concerned about what people see, but what's really happening. A real account. I, I shared, I was sharing with family and friends, and now I'm sharing with you, that um, yesterday I got to go visit my, my grandmother. My, we're German background, so Oma. You know, Weiss, 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 I don't care. Um, and, and you know when the family gives you the, the phone call, hey, you need to go visit Oma. You know, time is short. We don't know when, but make it a priority. You, you go. And, uh, you know, just a sidebar, I, I told my daughters, they're, they're the great-grandkids. You know, we're going to go visit Daddy's grandma. Okay, what are we doing? We're essentially saying goodbye. My daughters walk up to her and go, Goodbye. That was bad coaching on my part. <laughs> but if you've ever been in a, and most of us have, a situation like that, we, this, this is my theory. I don't know if it's entirely accurate, but when you're at the end of your life, you kind of look to summarize your life. What was its meaning? What was the value? What am I leaving? Those kinds of questions. And, and, and so my Oma, she shared two stories about four times each, but, but two stories that, that were deeply impactful as I was just kind of mulling these concepts over for this morning. The, the first was, as she said, you know, when, and you need to know, she immigrated to Canada, World War II survivor, and when she came, she built up a family. She's got four kids, nine grandkids, and probably double that, great-grandkids, and, and she, she says, you know, when we came and, and they had an acreage and, and that was this, as attached to that in 1988, there was a season of loss. We had to sell the acreage and move to the city. And, 
you know, that you can hear the hardship. She says, I, I said to my husband, that would be my late grandfather, I'd love to give to each of the kids a, a, a certain sum of money, and she named it, and, and he laughed. He was like, yeah, like, that'll be the day. And she's like, and then she kind of transitions into this, you know, when I came here, I had a grade three education. That's the extent of her formal education. Looking at my daughters in grade three, she's like, you're more educated or will be more educated than I am. And, and she's like, but look at what God's done. She starts talking about her kids, her grandkids and her great grandkids and, and seeing, she's like, God's been so faithful with my so little. And then she's like, remember that money I told you about? He's like, yeah. She's like, our house sold. And guess how much? Exactly the amount so that I can give to, what I, to my kids what I, what I set my heart to do in 1988. And she's just, she does one of these. Which if you know my, my Oma, that's like, it's pretty good. And, and I lean in, I'm like, Oma, that, that means like, you're talking about God's faithfulness. And she leans back and she's like, I should have asked for more. And then, and then she got deadly serious. And I was just sharing with, with my dad in between services, like this, this was the gift to me as a grandson. She's like, you know, the rich won't take care of the poor, and the poor are not just those who are physically poor, but those who are spiritually poor. But she says the spiritually rich, it's their job, and they'll do it. She's like, so go and do that. In other words, go steward and go steward well. At the end of her life, she's just going, I, I, I'm coming to an understanding of I've always had much, and I didn't know it. And now that I see I have so much, I just want to give it all away. Because that honors my Savior. Because that's his heart. That's, that's the picture of a creator king, you know, rep being represented to his creation. And I was just like, right on. Church, that's us. Like, if I could speak why this is important for us, that you would be more familiar with the seasons and with the, the time and with your resources as how they impact the kingdom of God more than it impacts your kingdom. I know many of us, we're really good. I don't know how many people I've talked to, the crazy Calgary market, I'm selling my house, I'm putting money in the bank, this is awesome, like we're dialed in. And yet, do you know what's happening in the church, in your church, in your relationships, the things that are eternal, not temporary? We don't. Actually, I, I told Trevor, I said, Trevor, I'm going to be preaching angry today. He's like, don't do it, man. And I'm like, nah, I have to. Because I look at the state of the capital C church, and, and you need to know Mission Hill is a reputation for caring about the church beyond itself. And I've been in more coffee meetings and more conversations with denominational leaders, pastors, former pastors, resigned pastors, burnt out pastors in the last three weeks than probably I've ever had. And, and the theme is the same as the stats that I'm receiving. We are seeing a burnout, and burnout is not tiredness. Like if your friends are burning out, get in their face and be like, you're not tired, you're discouraged. Burnout is chronic discouragement. When you're encouraged, you can run for days. So when you're discouraged, you, you peter out fast. And I'm, I'm getting all these emails of churches that are leaderless because they've burnt out. They've thrown in the towel. They've resigned. 
I, and I'm, I'm seeing that the stats are pretty accurate. Churches are about between 40 to 70, on average, 40 to 70 percent of what they were in attendance and giving before the pandemic. And I'm also hearing, I sat down with a pastor last week. He, he was in charge of getting the church online, getting the church, you know, comfortable and set up. And, and he was given thousands and thousands of dollars, and he was able to geek out with all the equipment. He's like, no, Aaron, you know what I did? I killed our church. I made it so comfortable for them to stay home, they didn't want to come back. When I phoned them, they just turned us off. Church, that's where we're at. I'm not saying Mission Hill. That's where the, the capital C church is at. 10% of churches actually have young adults. Think 20 to 25. 10% in Canada. That's the next generation, and they're like, I don't know if I need this. And yet, bleak picture I just painted for you. I've never been more encouraged. Because in a great disruption, when I will use the word corruption of our ministry circles has been exposed. We didn't know how to pivot the fact that we're home. God is using that to stir up something beautiful. I've never seen more unity in the hearts of leaders in the church and the city who are going, uh, you know what, how can we work together? How can we push together? How can we serve? How can we make sure that, you know what, we're all looking pretty bad and we have maybe haven't stewarded well. Let's steward in a way that honors our creative creator king. And church, here's why I'm mad. Here's why I'm leaning in. I don't want us to miss that. Like the, the opportunity and the time is now. Lovingly say this to anyone who would watch this later or watch it, watching it right now. Like, don't miss. God's doing a really cool work through a painful circumstance. And we're, we get to see some of the underbelly exposed. The things that we thought were working actually are not working. But the things that we know that are, have always worked, we get, we're invited to do that again to be a body, you know, essentially what, what is so interesting to me with this idea of stewardship, generosity, mutual concern that we see in the Old Testament, God was just saying to his people, you're not supposed to be rulers of each other. You're supposed to be a family. And as a family, you go and represent me, and that's how I rule. Church, we get to do that. But if it's discouragement, if it's apathy, if it's laziness, those things need to go because what those things do, they prop up our own kingdom. How many of you are very good at finding ways to avoid housework? Like, you laugh, but, I, like, I'm a ninja when it comes to that stuff. My wife will be like, here are the following chores. Can you do today? I'll be like, I think I can do those in 20 minutes. Yeah, and then I've got three hours of couch surfing I can do. To create my, you know, to prop up what I want. You know, that's a silly example that tells you we are so adept, so savvy at stewarding things in a way that, that we get to be many sovereigns that build up our kingdom and church. We're, we're given every day, and I would say in this season, a unique opportunity to go, you know what, we're, we're not giving those things for ourselves. We're giving that for his kingdom. Church, this is just me. I said this publicly in 2019 as our church was, we were kind of getting applauded at a denominational gathering. And if you know me, 
I don't really like that. I actually don't like my birthday because of attention is just like, ugh. you're like, you public speak for a living. I know, it's weird. Um, and so they're like, Aaron, come on up. Tell us about your church and we're all going to clap. And I was like, this is awkward. And I was like, guys, you know what? I really feel the Lord is saying to me, this is 2019, the Mission Hill has to give itself away. My elders are in the front row and they're looking at me like, what does that mean? Should have consulted first. And, I, I, and they're looking at me like, that has nothing to do with your church. I'm like, no, I just feel like we're so tight-fisted. You know, we just, we just want to be the opposite. So let's just do that. And, and what I'm seeing right now is it's the opportunity to give. But it needs courage. It needs energy. It needs a, a eyes fixed not on our kingdom but his so that it would grow. And church, it will. Let me encourage you with this. If you open up your Bibles, Hebrews 2, verse 14, I'd like to close with this. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself like, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. If I could break that down in context of our text this morning, it's you think you know how to work the system to set yourself up? Jesus knew better. To set you free from the very thing that was holding you back, he used that thing to, to break free. Jesus turned death on itself so that we would not know the sting of it. Church, that's a reckless confidence that we can have in Christ. I mean, it's such joy then to invest in the things that are internal. There's such hope to go, you know what, it's not my kingdom. I get to be a, a herald and a representative and an ambassador, a steward, a manager of, of greater treasures than I could even imagine. I love that my grandmother's like, I should have asked for more. It's like she's coming in this awareness of like, God just did that because he loves me. God loves you. And he wants to, to work in this city in a way that will, has been unprecedented before. But, you know, we, here's where we have to lean in. We have to work. We're designed to be doers. We're designed to be builders. We, we need relationship. The church is relational. You cannot manage without relationships. We need to be creative. This was Trevor last week talking about this. Cre creativity, what is that other than the ability to solve problems? And you're, you are gifted to do that through great stewardship. Resources upon resources as representatives of our king. Church, I want us to do that. So let me pray. And then we can respond in singing. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for a tremendous responsibility, but such a joy when our hearts are warm to, when we kind of just begin to wrap our heads around the idea, the understanding that, that we are made stewards. Mission Hill is a steward of relationships and people, of resources, of the gospel and of opportunities that you present us with to encourage the body of Christ to, to grow and to flourish and as well to reach into the city that others might know you. I thank you that we get to celebrate that in a really tangible way today through baptism. I praise you for the work that you're doing in Alex, and I pray you would solidify that and cause it to grow.
Jesus, I pray you give us courage. I pray you'd shake off discouragement through great encouragement. I, I pray that you would shake off apathy by causing us to run again. I pray you would shake off uh, all the bad habits we've built. Lord, we, we can't be builders when we are separated from one another. We, we can't be creative when we're not spending time thinking on the things, the problems that, that ultimately are the ones that matter and we're only thinking on ours. And Lord, we can't be good stewards when we think the things that you've given us are ours when they're ultimately yours. So Lord, may we use those to your joy, to your glory, and our flourishing. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.